Pray with me. Father, we, we bring ourselves now before, um, before your word. God, we ask that you would keep our hearts open. God, that you would keep our minds open, that you would help the, the eyes of our heart to see this truth, to see what it's calling us to, to see the gift that it is. And God, that, that your spirit would empower us to do something with it, to live it out, to live in it, to allow it to embody itself in us, to make its home in us, and to change us. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So I have a question. Um, Do you think that Birmingham needs any more churches? Just nod your head. This way for yes, this way for no. Do you think Birmingham needs more churches? Seeing... Not a lot. Okay, seeing some of this, I'm not sure. Maybe that's a little bit of both. Um, what I mean, what about this? Do you think that? Do you think that the people of the city of Birmingham, where we live, do you think that there needs to be more evangelism? I mean, I you know, I think like um, when I think about even the road that we're on right here, Columbiana. There's, I mean, this road is littered with churches. I mean, just like just on this side of the road, like every single block is a, is a church. And uh, it's, it's interesting, there have been some studies that have been done. One was by the North American Mission Board, and um, it did this, it, it mapped out every single state and even uh, parts of Canada and did the ratio of number of people per um, number of Southern Baptist churches in that area. So Alabama is number two for the highest ratio of Southern Baptist churches to number of people in the state. So second only to Mississippi. So Mississippi has, let me look at here. Well, Mississippi's got um, one Southern Baptist church per every 1,395 people. And then uh, Alabama is not far behind that with one Southern Baptist church for every 1,451 people. So there was another study that came out through Barna. And uh, the, the question was asked, what is the most Bible-minded city? So we've got state, uh, Bur- or, sorry, Alabama's pretty, pretty wi- way up there. What about Birmingham as a city? Uh, so for the last couple of years, Chattanooga has been called the most Bible-minded city. Uh, so when they, when they say Bible-minded, I don't, I've never used that phrase before, but what they're saying is they mean uh, that people in, the, in that city say that they engage with the Bible weekly, and that they believe it to be accurate. So for the last few years, Chattanooga has been uh, at the top, but then Birmingham, we came through, y'all. We made it. We're at the top now. So Chattanooga was 50% of the people said that they engaged weekly and that they thought the Bible was accurate. And now Birmingham, as of this year, man, pat ourselves on the back. We're at 51%, all right? There we go. Taking Ch- Chattanooga by storm. So, we, so we're at the top now, okay? So we are... Almost at the very top of the most churched state in the country. And we are the most Bible-minded city in the nation. So, which I think is probably pretty safe to say that, um, and you might be able to argue this, but pretty safe to say that if we're the most Bible-minded city in America, we're probably the most Bible-minded city in the world. <laughs> the deep south. I mean, this is, this is the hub of it all right here. So, then I ask the question again. D- does Birmingham need more churches? And does Birmingham need more evangelism? 
Um, with those stats, you know, I mean, my, my thought goes to, no, not necessarily. And so just to kind of put that in perspective uh, with the Bible-minded thing, uh, I thought since our, our friend Tim Bond is here, he's from Arizona, I'd, get, I'd give the stats for them. So Birmingham is 51% of the people are Bible-minded. Arizona, this is Phoenix, 17%, man. They need some help, bro. You need to go back home, help them out, be a missionary. Rhode Island is even 9%, super low. So we're at 51%. So is this a good thing? Yes, but no, it's, it's, it's both. Because th- this is what happens. When something like this becomes so ingrained in the culture, um, we end up creating, it's just people get pulled into the snowball kind of unknowingly. And they end up having this zeal without knowledge. So for instance, I, I'm born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. And in Charlotte, uh, when you're born, you love NASCAR and you have no idea why. And nobody, nobody does. It's, 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 it's an anomaly. Uh, no one knows why NASCAR even exists and let alone why you go to it and, and watch it. But I, I was born and just, I don't know, I just loved, I loved Jeff Gordon and I, I like went to, I never really got to go to an actual race. I went to one practice preliminary thing one time and I even had like a Jeff Gordon uh light switch thing in in my room and and so I mean I was I was sold out if someone would have asked me what's the point of it I would have said I I literally don't know but I love it it's great like give me some stats about Jeff Gordon I I don't know but he's awesome you know like I just I loved it but I was really ignorant like I I didn't know why I liked it or didn't really know anything about it and uh you know this is this is honestly how in culture, especially in a place like Birmingham, we can just kind of become um, very much like that. This zeal for Jesus, but if you just if you kind of try to pick through that a little bit, there's not a whole lot under that. If you if you to start kind of digging, so what is the gospel? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've you know I've had conversations with, not tr- you know not trying to probe them, but just genuinely asking, just to kind of see where they're at. And um, someone who's you know would say they've they've grown up in the church their whole life and and they profess to be Christian and say, well, just tell me like what 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 is the gospel? And they just like crickets, like there's just nothing there, and it's sad almost. Like it's just sad that like they've gotten sucked into it without any really understanding of of what it's all about. So that, that for me, that kind of mindset makes me think that, yeah, Birmingham does need more churches. And yes, Birmingham does need more evangelism. Um, we're not good to go because um, the thing about it is, is, is far too many people have not heard the distinctive voice of the gospel. Like they've heard some generalities and they've gotten pulled into it, but they've not heard the distinctive voice of the gospel um, there are people on your campuses, and this is where I think it really starts at home, is, um, is I, I would think for UAB somewhat, but especially for Sanford, I, I think there's just kind of this ethos of like, everybody's just a Christian, and we all sing Kumbaya and go to camp together, and it's great. And, um, but I, I think what we, we end up assuming that everyone is a Christian, when all the while, knowing that in a, in a culture like this, where it can become so nominal and just just kind of assumed into us, it becomes assumed. And there is no real, uh, there's no knowledge there behind the zeal, no understanding, really. So there are people in our city that are religious and pumped up about religious stuff, pumped up about Christianity, um, but who don't understand the gospel of grace. There are people on your campus who are in the same place, um, who who have been brought up around it, so much, 
um, but they've never really encountered it themselves. They've never really trusted in Christ themselves. They have a general kind of understanding, but they've not heard the distinctive voice of the gospel. So I think our city, the campuses in our city, need the gospel just as much as anywhere else. I mean, the stats look different and the situation looks different. And so that's going to, I don't think that's a reason for us to not think that the gospel is needed here, but it just, it helps us think, okay, so how do we then need to communicate it? How then do I need to encounter other people with this good news? And so this brings us to Romans 10. This is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul was talking about the importance of sharing the gospel and its distinctive message in a religious, or a religiously saturated culture. Which is where we're, I mean, this is, we're, we're at the, the heart of it. This is, this is it. So, um, so Paul is, is, is doing the same exact thing. He's doing with, uh, with his uh, Jewish fellow brothers and sisters. Um, but I think it can apply just the same to, to, uh, to those of us who have friends and family and acquaintances, people that we know in the church that would call themselves Christians. So he, he, he gives us a couple of things here in Romans 10. Um, we see a few things. We see why we need to share the gospel in Birmingham. We see which gospel needs to be shared in Birmingham. And we see how the gospel needs to be shared in Birmingham. So just likening this religious saturated context for Paul to us, I think it speaks directly into where we're at more so than some uh, someplace like Rhode Island or New York or somewhere like that. So the first thing, why do we need to share the gospel in Birmingham? Well, we see um, a couple of things here in verses 1 through 4. The very first thing that Paul says is, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So it's almost like when you, when, and this is coming right out of, I mean, he's been just like laying out the, the glories of the mercy of God. And it's almost like, when you taste something so good, you just, you want other people to know it. It's like when the, when the gear starts turning in you, it starts turning all these other subsequent gears. So when you start getting the good news of Jesus and it starts nourishing your soul and changing you, then you want it to do the same for other people. And I think, you know, probably many of us in this room can, can remember that time when you first came to know Jesus. Maybe you were really, really young um, or maybe not so young and it, and it clicked and you just wanted to tell everybody. I remember that happened to me. Um, when I came to know Christ, I started, I, I pulled out this, I, uh, this adventure Bible that someone had given to me and I like, it was like a kid's Bible that I took to my dad. I was like, dad, you got to read this. And I was like, I can't explain it to you, but can you read this? And it's like this holographic purple Bible that I'm asking him to read. And just, you know, and he's like, what are you doing, kid? Um, he wasn't a Christian at the time. He is now, don't worry. Um, but I just want everybody to know. But what happens is we see in verses two through four is the reason that Paul is lamenting in such despair he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They're lacking knowledge specifically of the righteousness of God, it says in verse 3. And even more, that they are seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. I think this is, this is exactly where our friends and our family and our city and our campuses are at. Is um, it, it's full of people who are trying to establish a righteousness of their own. And I think what happens in our context is we kind of suck the, uh, the marrow 
out of the church, out of the Bible, out of Christianity, and, and use religious things to then try to establish a righteousness for own, a, a reason for feeling acceptable and validated before God. So we can turn into legalism. Well, I don't do that, and I do this. Um, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I've even felt that before, like even just with like, you know, your, your morning devotions. You know, like I, I feel like when I'm doing my morning devotions, God loves me. And if I'm having a good week, man, I could just, just fly right into heaven if I died. But if I'm having a bad week, it's like, I don't even know if I want to show up to church, you know, like, because I'm, God, God might not be so happy with me. So even in subtle, kind of even sometimes silly ways, I think we can try to uh, establish a righteousness of our own. And um, there are many lost people in our city who use even religious, religious means to do that for themselves. So I think really the, the difference here, um, that's the, the difference of what marks true belief is whether or not you forsake your own righteousness and submit to God's. That's what he says. He says there, there, he, his heart is, he's not mad. Like the, the tone is not, he's not, he's not bitter. He's not upset. His heart's broken and he's sad that they've missed it. They've missed that they don't have to establish a verdict for themselves. They don't have to establish anything for themselves, but rather they can simply receive a righteousness, a verdict, a standing, a sense of credibility from God. They can take that into their own possession. They can lay hold of that for free. So his heart is broken because while they are religious, they're ignorant of the gospel of grace. And so even as we're reading this and we're talking about this, there might be people that are coming to your mind that you're thinking about. Okay, there's, I, can, I can think of someone who, who does kind of have the religious garb and jargon, but they, they've missed the gospel of grace. And I'm not mad about it, and I'm not judgmental. I'm, I'm legitimately broken over it. So we establish these, these rules that we live by, and we want others to live by, and when we keep them, we feel right. And when they break them, we think that they are wrong, reduces their sense of credibility, builds ours up. So the difference is here is when, you, when you're establishing your own righteousness, you're trusting yourself and you end up feeling like a slave. But when you submit to God's righteousness and instead of trying to build your own and you receive it and you come with open hands, you, you end up feeling like a son or a daughter who has received an inheritance that is beyond anything you could ever imagine. So verses one through four, why do we need to share the gospel in Birmingham? Why do you need to share the gospel on your campus with the people at your school? Because there are many people in Birmingham, the Bible-saturated capital of the world, that are ignorant of the gospel of grace. They have a semblance of the gospel but they couldn't tell you that the reason that God loves anybody is because of Jesus, not because of, of your own right standing, your own righteousness, your own doing. The next thing we see in, in the next portion of this in 5 through 13 is, so not only that um, why the gospel needs to be shared, but which gospel needs to be shared. Because this, this is where it gets tricky. This is where I think people, um, especially in our setting, have, have gotten, um, sadly, have gotten tripped up and many are stuck in a wrong gospel. What Paul does here is he really, he, he puts these two things in parallel against each other almost, of law and gospel. So if you see in verses, uh, verse 5, he says, For Moses 
writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So he's referring back to this this understanding of the Old Testament law, that the one who does them, who keeps them, will be acceptable to God. This is a wrong understanding of the law, but there is, that is an understanding of it. That what you do determines what God thinks of you. And so the law is what we do for God. But then, it, but then Paul switches it and says, this is the message that they need to hear. The gospel, that it's not what we do for God, but rather it's what he does for us. Not what we do for God, but what he does for us. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says this. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. The, the idea is there. Who's going to work their way up into heaven? And don't say who's going to descend down to the abyss. That's to say who's going to undergo the punishment of hell on their own. Don't say that. Rather, what, we should, what, what should we say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. It is accessible. Christ has already come. Christ has already died. Christ has already risen. And he lives for you today. It's, it's right there, right before you. You don't have to do a thing on your own. This, this reminds me, this kind of mindset of, of the, this law mindset versus a gospel mindset. When I, was in, um, when I was in high school, my youth group was really big into evangelism, just like door-to-door stuff uh, and, and things like that. And door-to-door stuff now I think is ridiculous, but it like worked when, when we would do it. So there was this one time when we were going door-to-door in, in our neighborhood and um, had knocked on this one door. Nobody came to the door was turning around to go, uh, was at the dead end of the street, was going to go back out and meet up with the rest of, of our group. And I saw this guy walking down the sidewalk and I thought, does this count? He's not, like, I'm not going door to door. Like, he's not in his house. I don't know if this counts. I don't know if I can just stop him. But something was like, you need to go talk to that guy. And so I broke all the door to door rules and just talked to a random guy on the sidewalk. So I talked to this random guy on the sidewalk. He was about my age. And um, I think he was with his brother at the time. And so just, I don't even remember what, how I started the conversation, but just started talking with them and just like, you know, in my just like youthful zeal for Jesus, just like dove right for it and said, so like, you know, what, what do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus? How do you, what do you think about heaven? What do, what do you think about these things? And so he really quickly gave back an answer. He said, well, you know, like, I don't really know which God it is, but I, I believe that it's the seven spiritual laws. And I don't know what, I didn't know what they were then. I don't know what they are now. I'm not sure what he was referring to, but he, he had this mindset of like, there's these laws that, that I try to keep. And, and he talked about how like, I, I genuinely try to submit myself to these things. And if I submit myself to these things, then God will be pleased with me and he will accept me. And um, when he said that, I was really taken off guard. I was like, oh, I don't know what to say about that. And so I got really nervous and I said something about Jesus and then invited him to come to church. And next week, sure enough, he came to church. And I don't know exactly when it happened. He, he ended up coming to know Christ. And um, now he's uh, working at a church in Charlotte. And he's also working at Chick-fil-A. So, I mean, it's like basically the same thing, you know, very Christian establishments. Uh, and it's, it's crazy. Like he, he I, and I don't, I, don't, I don't say that to say, I, I didn't even do anything. I just, I told him about Jesus a little bit. And then he came to church and he was freed. He was freed from this law mindset. And this is, what, um, this is what so many people in Birmingham are walking around with this cloud over their head of just like, yeah, there's a sense of like, I'm supposed to be at church, but I'm not, or I am at church, but I'm not doing enough. 
And we can be freed from that. We can have that lifted off of us through the gospel of grace. What the gospel says is that we experience righteousness and salvation simply by believing the message. By believing the message. Not by keeping spiritual laws or natural laws or anything like that. So the gospel that needs to be shared is the gospel gospel, not a law gospel, not a mixture of the two, just the pure gospel that is the work of Christ purely from beginning to end. That's what we need to tell people. And that's the distinctive message that we think that everyone's already heard, but it's really dangerous to assume that because maybe they have heard it. I mean, I, I was talking to my wife earlier this week and she was saying, like, I guarantee, she was, this is her time, I guarantee I heard the gospel, the real gospel, hundreds of times growing up. But for whatever reason, it just never clicked. And she needed to hear it again. It wasn't until college that it actually clicked for her and she came to faith in Christ. And we, we just can't afford to assume it with anybody. To assume that they already know it or worse that they've already heard it because maybe they have already heard it. But the spirit wasn't at work opening their heart, opening their mind to. And so um, it needs to be said again, even if we, we think that they don't need to hear it. So the third thing is, how? How does the gospel need to be shared? And we see this in 14 uh, through 17. Paul goes through this kind of relentless backwards logic of saying, basically, you have to say it. You've got to share it. There's this uh, misappropriated uh, quote to this guy, Francis Assisi. He literally never said this, but uh, I used to think that he said it, and I'd, I've said it before, and I've heard people say it, but he never said it. It's not in any of his writings. But he, it's, it's, the, it's the quote that, when he, uh, that's, that says, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And so it's like this kind of just like default, like, okay, so I'm just going to be the guy who just is really nice to everybody, but I never, I never say anything about Jesus. I don't, I don't want to offend. I don't want to get it wrong or whatever. Like, I'm just going to let it be seen. Um, and we, we, we can't. We can't get that from here. Paul says, how are they going to believe? Unless they call. How are they going to call unless someone comes to them to tell them? And how is, some, how is someone going to come to tell them unless they've been sent, unless they trust in this message, unless they believe it so deeply that they would willingly go forth and share it? And then in 17, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing, not seeing, through hearing. I think... Um, Sometimes we, it's funny, I, I think even in myself, I kind of have this false dichotomy of like, I just feel like, okay, like I, I don't have to share the gospel because, you know, God can work a miracle and in a dream or something. Um, but then like when I hear an account of that happening, I never like believe it. So like a couple, it was maybe a week ago, um, one of the pastors here, the missions pastor, was sharing with us the story of a missionary in a Syrian refugee camp and, um, he, you know, he said, like, you're probably not going to believe this, but one of our missionaries shared this with us, and we should believe it. Even though we don't really see things like this happening in America all that often, we should believe it. And he, he shared the story of this, this Syrian family that was in one of their tents. And um, the night before, um, I think it was the father, I don't remember exactly, I think it was the father of the family had this dream. And this guy in glowing white came to him and said, um, 
my name is Jesus, and someone is going to come to you tomorrow to tell you more about me. They woke up the next day, and this missionary was going tent to tent, sharing the gospel, and came in and said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And they got like pale white, started freaking out and didn't know what they were saying. And his translator was with him and, and then and, and asked them what he was, they, why they were freaking out. And, and they shared like, we have this dream that Jesus came to us and said that someone was going to come and tell us more about him. So tell us, we want to hear. And so, you know, we, we've, we hear stuff like that and we're like, well, that can't really happen. But then it's almost like we kind of, we kind of sometimes act like, well, that, maybe that will happen. And so because that might happen here, I don't, really, I don't really need to share. I don't really need to speak it. I don't really need to say it so that, that this message can be heard. But that, this is the normative way that God works. I mean, think about Jonah. The people of Nineveh, they don't repent and believe until he goes and, and says it. All through Acts, it's when the apostles preach and speak that people come to faith in Jesus. It's it's almost like, you know, earlier in Romans when, when Paul says that it's the gospel that is the power of God. It's almost like every other word that we speak is just normal and bland and black and white. Not a lot of power, but as soon as we speak the words of the gospel, it's like they're these supercharged, glowing, God empowered words that can go into somebody's ears seep into their heart and, and literally bring them from death into life. And what's even more is, 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 is Paul says that these words, these are the words of Christ. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So when we speak the word of the gospel to somebody, we're giving them the opportunity to literally hear the voice of Jesus because this is his message about him and it is God's power. And when we speak it, the voice of Christ just shines right through it, right into somebody's ears and into their heart and into their mind. And for any of us here who have come to know Jesus, that is exactly what happened. We heard the voice of Jesus in the voice of someone else. Like what a beautiful opportunity to to get to be that for someone. Through your words, through your voice, to give them the opportunity to hear the voice of Jesus. What a beautiful opportunity. I mean, of any place, uh, the most fertile grounds for the gospel to spread are campuses, college campuses. The fastest place for the gospel to spread is, is that kind of environment. I mean, even just this past week, um, I, think it was, I think it was Monday night, I got a call from a student who um, grew up here at Shades and is now at Auburn and um, would just tell me how like, the, their church and their college ministry has kind of taken this um, evangelism focus and they've just been going out on faith and sharing the gospel with people on campus, kind of just almost like door-to-door style, but also in relationship. And within the last month, they've seen 25 people come to faith. This is Auburn. So this is, this is still Birmingham. This is still where you assume everyone already knows it. And it's spreading just like wildfire. And um, we, we have the opportunity to see that kind of thing happen. If we, if we really trust this, if we really trust that people have maybe heard it, but they've not really seen it. They've not really felt the true power of the good news of Jesus, the distinctive voice of the gospel. You have the chance to be that for someone, to pierce through the generalities and give the specific message that you can't get anywhere else that has come straight down from God that we would have never have guessed. 
And we can take hope in this. We can, we can trust in this, that it's not our words that have the power, but it's the word of Christ. The pressure is off of us. This is Jesus speaking through us when we speak of Jesus. So practically, what does this look like? What, what are some things that, that we can do? Well, I think first we take our cues from Paul and, and, and verse one and pray. Pray. Pray either for that person that you have specifically in mind or pray generally that your eyes would be open to people. Maybe you don't have anybody in mind that you're thinking of that you think, man, this person really needs to hear the distinctive gospel of grace and of Christ. If you were here with us for GIC, uh, one of the speakers was talking about how simple it is to, to share the gospel over a meal, sharing a meal with somebody, getting a cup of coffee with somebody. And then even um, as general as inviting them to church, I think a lot of times we feel weird about that, but I think it's a viable thing. I mean, you think about what the church is, it's, it's the community of the gospel where the gospel is lived out and seen and beheld. And so uh, for my friend Justin, you know, he heard the gospel from me, just kind of a one-off, but then he came to church and he saw it and he heard it again. And then those two things together came to a point where it worked together to the, to the point where he could come to faith in Jesus. And, and someone inviting someone to church is, is how I came to know Christ. Um, someone invited me to church when I was in middle school and now I'm standing up here. So you don't know, maybe someone you invite to church might end up really coming to Christ and really coming to, to love him and serve him. I'm thankful that, uh, that that kid in my neighborhood did that for me, that he wouldn't assume that I'd already heard it, but that he would say, hey, man, you should, you should come to church with me. And so we have the opportunity to do that. 45% of the guests at Shades, when we did a poll a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago, 45% of the guests that came that day said that they came because someone invited them. Someone invited them. Hey, you should come along. I think that's a viable way of doing evangelism, saying, hey, come, come, come see where this is lived out, where people believe it and trust it. And so in the midst of Birmingham, where, where religion and where Christianity is, is, is so deep, the gospel still has the opportunity to shine brightly. And so may we, taking our cues from what Paul says, that those who follow in this, those who share the message, that their feet are beautiful, may we follow in the footsteps of the one who has the most beautiful feet, of Christ, who not only came to share a message, but to be the message. Not only to share about the life that we can have, through his death, but to die in our place, to live in our place, to become the good news for us. And so we want to invite you to respond to this now. We want to, um, to give you a chance, and this is, not, uh, this is not anything for anybody but yourself, you and God. And so um, we have uh, some, some sheets of paper, and this is, this is a, really an activity. Not, this is not a commitment thing where you're going to write anything and, and no one's going to be looking over your shoulder. This, you're not handing this to anybody. This is really just, a, just an opportunity to kind of prayerfully um, digest some of this. Because I think it, this is something that um, really is not, it's, if I'm honest, like I'm, I'm the most guilty in this room. It's not on my radar. A lot of, I just kind of walk around assuming like, eh, most people are pretty cool with Jesus and just good to go. But the reality is they're, is, is they're not. They might be okay with Jesus, but do they really know Jesus and love him and worship him? 
And so we want to give you just, um, just a couple of minutes just to, to look over these prompts and to, to write prayerfully. I mean, this is really an opportunity for, for you to, to pray. Um, and so, like I said, this, we're not going to take these up and look at them. This is for you. I mean, if, if you want to, to take this and put it somewhere where you might see it often as a reminder to pray for those on your campus, for those in your family who, who don't know Christ, as a reminder to pray about the fears that you have in sharing this, as a reminder to pray that your eyes would be opened if they're not already opened or opened even wider, if they are open somewhat. So I want to give you just a couple of minutes to, to write. And like I said, this, this is really an activity of, of prayer more than anything. Um, and then I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Father, you have given us, uh, you've given us truly life in Christ. God, you've raised us from the dead. And that message is so good, and it is so true, and it is so real that, um, that often we can, we can forget that there are those who have not yet heard this distinctive message of grace, of the truly good news. There are so many in our city that are living under, living under the law, living under condemnation. And God, I pray you would give each of us, give myself, give all of us eyes to see them. God, give us compassion for them. God, help us to not be ashamed of the gospel, to not assume the gospel. God, help, help our hearts to break for those who have yet to come to know you. God, I pray you would um, give us hearts for the campuses in our city, for the many people who are yours there but have not yet come to know you. 
Help us to be faithful. Help us to overflow in speech and in words out of our hearts of gratitude for what you've given us so richly in Christ. Father, we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.